Welcome back to the official SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. I'm your host, Holt Norris, joined by my good friend Jordan Brooks. We call him JB. What's going on, JB? Awesome, Holt. Yeah, I'm starving, so uh, let's go ahead and just get this uh, shit going because I'm ready to eat. (laughs) (laughs) That is one way to start a podcast. I am also very hungry. It is 4.30 on Sunday, and I have not eaten yet. So I think we're both ready to just get this podcast over with so we can go eat dinner. What what are you thinking about for dinner, JB? I'm thinking barbecue tonight. I'm really thinking just like a plate of barbecue nachos piled high with pulled pork. That sounds amazing. It's hard to beat that. Central? I think Central is going to be the go-to. Yeah, I might have to go with you, actually. That sounds pretty good. I'm actually thinking about just going and dining in. All right. You know the one on summer? We could, yeah. All right. Well, it's a date. (laughs) It's a date. Um... Yeah, so it was a great day of college football yesterday. Um, I mean, it, it was a great day for some, not a great day for others. A lot of SEC teams had their first loss uh, yesterday, which is always a really tough, uh, tough feeling. That first loss just hits a little bit different because your hopes, your hopes and dreams are kind of not completely gone, but you're kind of like, all right, well, maybe we aren't a very good team after all. Um, and then a couple of SEC teams had a big bounce back win um, that maybe they can get some momentum going. So we'll just go ahead and dive into it. Um, Probably the most exciting game from yesterday was the uh, Missouri-Kansas State game. A huge win for Eli Drinkwitz. Um, Cook had a huge game passing. Um, you know, and Luther Burden, is it Burden? Um, he was had, not a burden at all, yeah, was he? Yeah, he, uh, he was a burden for the Kansas State defense, uh, that's for sure. Um, huge game. Um, what were your uh, biggest takeaways from that game? Well, one, um, I want to talk real quick uh, about um, – did you see Eli Drinkwitz uh, post game press conference? Yes, yeah, standing up for his quarterback. Yeah, reminded me a lot of like Mike Gundy years and years ago. Um, of course, this one it was uh, more positioned towards the uh, Missouri fan base, and you know, a coach doing that like that's the kind of coach you want to play for. Like, I honestly, I don't don't know where Drinkwitz is coming from with this. I don't know if it's actually because he really wants to defend Brady. Or is it because he's just trying to pander to recruits? Like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have your back. Come play for me. Yeah, I wasn't really sure what to take away from it either. Um, you know, fans are gonna do what they do. Um, obviously, I was at another SEC game where the starting quarterback was getting booed. Also, so um, it happens a lot. It's not uncommon. Um, you know, I think really what should piss you off if you're a coach is your fan base being apathetic or not caring. Um, you know, I understand you want to stand up for your quarterback, but at the end of the day. Um, everyone has to, uh, you know, everyone has, uh, something they have to live up to and everyone has expectations and, um, you can't really get too mad at the fan base. I don't think for, uh, being upset with the quarterback play, but you know what? He ended up having a really good game. Um, 23 for 35, 356 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Um, obviously Luther Burden was a huge um, help for him, but, uh, some other guys got involved in well as well, including, uh, Mookie Cooper and Theo Weiss Jr. Um, the transfer from Oklahoma, we talked about a lot in the preseason. So, um, spread the ball around pretty well. Um, really impressive win, um, against Kansas state, you know, obviously won the big 12 last year, um, was number 15 in the country. So, uh, probably the biggest win of Eli Drinkwitz's career so far. Yeah, absolutely. And man, I want to give a call out. Obviously, I think we know where I'm going with this. Uh, Harrison Nevis, what a stud he is. Like, I mean, I know last year, like, you know, he was known for, uh, you know, hitting long field goals. I mean, he had a 56-yarder last year. He had a 56-yarder his sophomore year. Like, I mean, then 61 yards yesterday. Like, this guy is going to get himself an NFL contract. Um, he's going to be drafted, I think, you know, this year. I mean, I know the issue with him 
sometimes can be accuracy, but when you have a leg as strong as he does, somebody's going to take a shot on you. Yeah, we talked about him in the preseason and how that was so big for this Missouri team. You know, when you're, when you're a defensive-minded team like Missouri is, um, you know, you, you really need special teams to, uh, to be that um, pairing to go with a good defense. So. You really do. And then having a, a kicker as a weapon in college football, it's, it's really honestly probably the, one of the best weapons you can have. Because, I mean, just like yesterday, I mean, it was going to be a 56-yard uh, field goal. Remember, there was a delay of game because uh, they were taking a long time getting guys on the field. So they ended up backing up five more yards, and we're thinking, okay, well, they're just going to probably throw a Hail Mary here to take a shot at the end zone. If they don't get it, well, we'll just go to overtime. No. Drinkwitz trots Mevis back out there, nails a 61-yarder with maybe half a yard to spare. Yep, saved Drinkwitz's ass right there for sure. Um a game that was uh, not nearly as exciting, but also on, was on at the same time um, down in Starkville. LSU uh, took care of business against Mississippi State. Um, good uh, bounce back performance for um, LSU in this one and Jaden Daniels. Um, you know, a lot of LSU fans, again, being upset with the quarterbacks, um, maybe weren't too impressed with Jaden uh, week one against Florida State. And, you know, it's understandable. It wasn't a great performance by him, but. Had as good of a performance as, uh, you know, we've seen in a long time for a quarterback. 30 of 34, 361 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Um, played about as perfect of a game as you can possibly play. Um, not to mention 15 carries for 64 yards and two more touchdowns on the ground. Yeah, Jaden Daniels was flawless yesterday. Of course, on the flip side, you know, like you said, Will Rogers, not another good outing for him. I mean, he was, I mean, pretty erratic. I mean, just his... You know, like like we saw his stat line. I mean, his quarterback rating was seven point six, and I know that there's a lot of state quarterbacks that just want to have, or not quarterbacks, but state fans that just want Mike Wright to be inserted into the lineup because they think he's a better fit um, for the system. What's your take on that? Um, do you think Will Rogers should still be the quarterback for state, or do you think they should start looking to Mike Wright going forward? Well, my my opinion on it is just that Mike Wright needs to be more involved in the offense. I mean, I don't understand why they bring him on for like one or two plays like here or there. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I would like to give Mike Wright a few drives just to like mix it up and give the defense something else to think about because when Will Rogers is back there, um, you know, obviously he's he's got some accuracy and he's, uh, you know, got some poise to him at times, but um, he's, he's kind of a statue back there. There's really no mobility whatsoever. And when the offensive line is getting whipped like they were yesterday, he just doesn't have a chance. I mean, there wasn't yeah. anything he could do. Um, you know, he had some bad throws and, uh, you know, wasn't setting his feet, throwing off his back foot a lot. And, um, you know, a, a lot of that is to blame on the offensive line because they just got absolutely manhandled by LSU's front yesterday. Yeah, and, you know, this is – what I saw from Mississippi State yesterday was what I was concerned with uh, going into the season. It was transitioning from, you know, the air raid to more of a uh, zone read type offense with the personnel that they have. And um, it, it's that was my biggest concern. I mean, it was alarming seeing that, you know, yesterday they only had 201 yards of offense. And a lot of that was that big chunk running play, um, that rushing play. I forgot who it was that had that carry. Yeah, Jaquavius Marks had a big 52-yard yeah, run right before halftime. Yeah, that was, that was 25% of it. But before that run, I think I saw a stat. Right almost before halftime, Mississippi State only had seven yards yep. of total offense. That's what I was about to say. Seven yards of total offense before that play. So, um, yeah, things not looking great. But, I mean, the thing is, is, you know, it was pass. It was like the pass rush from LSU that was really the problem. I mean, you know, you'd think that the offensive line would be used to uh, pass blocking more, uh, playing in the area the last few years. Um, 
But, you know, look, Will Rogers deserves a lot of blame. He played really bad. The offensive line deserves a ton of blame as well. They were also very, very, you know, uh, very poor performance, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, That's where games are but, won. But you got to give LSU some credit, too. I mean, they, they played really well. Um, you know, they really had something to prove. You know, coming off that Florida State loss, you know, they, they could have, you know, been shook really easily. Um, but they seem like, uh, at least right now, to be the favorites in the SEC West, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll just, just want to give a shout-out as well to Malik Neighbors. Had a huge game in this one. 13 catches, 239 yards, and two touchdowns. Um, that is as good of a yeah. wide receiver stat line as you'll ever see. Um, you know, Mississippi State, they're pretty good on defense, but they do have some weaknesses in the secondary. And um, you could just tell that State's plan was like, hey, we're just going to – you know, do the best we can to stop the run and contain uh, contain Daniels, and we're just going to make him beat us deep. Like, that's just what we're going to have to do, and, you know, that's what happened. I mean, Jaden Daniels just, like, was hitting every throw down the field, um, you know, just right on the money every single time. The second half, State started to kind of play a little bit more coverage, and that's when Daniels really started to hurt them with his legs. So, just really nothing that State defense could do to stop uh, this LSU offense. And, um, you know, I mean, just like I said, LSU, they might be the best team in the conference or at least the best team in the West right yeah, now. Yeah, I would, I would agree. And, uh, like, a, you know, taking away from that game we talked about two weeks ago when they played Florida State, like, I did not think that LSU played a bad game against Florida State. It was just an all-around mental breakdown in the fourth quarter. I still thought LSU was a solid team. A lot of people were overreacting, saying, well, Brian Kelly, he doesn't look like he's going to get things going. He, he and his family weren't going to do well enough in Baton Rouge. Well, um, I think this team is really solid. And I do think that they are the team to beat in the West. Um, you know, on the flip side, you know, Alabama, what a horrible game they had against uh, South Florida. Did you uh, – how much of that game did you see? And uh, did you have any sort of takeaway from that? Because um, I'm, sure, I'm sure that your takeaway from that might be similar to what my takeaway from it was. Well, my takeaway is they don't have a good quarterback. But I think that Milrow is the best quarterback that they have. After watching, uh, you know – Simpson and uh, what's the Notre Dame transfers? Tyler name? Buckner. Yeah, after watching them play, to me, it's pretty obvious that Milrow is the best quarterback and he's their best option. You know, as flawed as he may be as a passer, I did not see anything from uh, from the other two quarterbacks to make me think that they're better than Milrow. So I'm really interested to see what happens against Ole Miss next week. I would expect Milrow to play um, and them just kind of focus on the running game. You know, luckily for, you know, Alabama, if you want to take, like, I guess one positive away, which I know it's kind of hard to um, against a really bad South Florida team where you barely won. But, um, you know, Roydell Williams, I thought, really came alive in the second half. And, um, you know, maybe he is kind of emerging as the number one running back for them. So, you know, just something to keep an eye on. Maybe uh, he can be someone who can they, they can kind of lean on on offense because they really don't have, like, that offensive player that they can lean on. No, they don't. And uh, South Florida was a team that only won one game all of last year, and they didn't even look all that impressive in their you know first two games before they played Alabama. But the, I, everything I saw from Alabama yesterday is everything I've been concerned with you know before this season. Um, one, they don't have a quarterback. I will agree that I think Milrow is probably the best of the three options, and that's the main reasons because he can create plays with his legs, and uh, that is more of a better aspect for that offense. Ty Simpson, his issue is that he struggles with feeling the pressure in the pocket. Tyler Buckner, I mean, I don't know what to say about him. He's just all around bad. Missing throws, not feeling pressure, making the wrong reads. Um, that's just a horrible um, 
fit yesterday. And I think what we're missing from Alabama from recent years is that they don't have one reliable weapon in the receiving court. They always had reliable guys, you know, from the beginning of the Saban era all the way to now. They don't have that guy anymore. I mean, of course, a few years ago, they, you know, they don't have that trio that they had, um, that Tua Tagovailoa, you know, was able to have. But that's one thing I've noticed is that they don't have that one reliable receiver to get open when things are bad, or that one reliable target on those third and longs. And also, you know, the offensive line, they were underwhelming. Um, that was supposed to be the strength of this offense, and that was the reason that people were so high on Alabama is they thought this big offensive line could help mask a lot of those deficiencies uh, with not having a proven quarterback or, uh, you know, some good receivers or even the leading rusher that you had all over the years too. But the offensive line not performing up to standards, that's why this Alabama offense is being exposed for not having the pieces. And I think it goes back to last year. Bryce Young was really the one that uh, – you know, was leading this offense. I mean, I think he was the main reason that they had the season they had last year. They they didn't have Bryce Young last year. Who knows what they could have had. So Alabama's in trouble on offense because, I mean, I think it's just more of a uh, credit to Bryce Young about how really good he was. Yeah, and they got uh, Ole Miss next week, and then they go to Starkville to face uh, Mississippi State the week after that. So um, gonna going to be interesting to see if they can kind of um, get back on track. Um, you know, I don't know how excited they were to play that game. It seemed like they were pretty conservative on offense. Um, you know, the defense looked great. I mean, they don't have any problems on defense, on defense I don't think. Um, you know, it's really just going to come down to, you know, how well they do against some of the better passing teams on their conference because I don't think many teams are going to be running the ball on them. But, you know, offensively is obviously where the question marks are and especially at quarterback. But um, moving on to, uh, you know, one of the more surprising games, at least to me, um, down in Gainesville, um, Tennessee falls to Florida, twenty-nine to sixteen. Um, this was kind of surprising. Uh, it was a kind of a fun game to watch. Uh, what was your big takeaway from this game? It's really two things. One, it was a tale of two halves. Also, I think for Tennessee, they had about an eight-minute stretch in the second quarter, um, in which that you know Florida was able to really just put this game not was necessarily out of reach, but they were able to take complete and you know full control on it. And one of those is that, you know, that Joe Milton um, horrible interception that he had where he was getting hit and the pocket was collapsing. Don't know what was happening there, but it was really that stretch from about the, uh, I'd say, the 11-minute mark in the second quarter all the way to around the two-minute mark. So, like I said, eight- or nine-minute stretch right there is where the game was won for Florida. After that, I mean, the second half, I mean, Tennessee outgained Florida by I think maybe about 270 to, like, 60. So, I mean, Tennessee's offense – Played pretty well in the second half, uh, moving the ball down the field. But, you know, like we always say, football is a game of inches, and it's a game where you just can't make those mistakes. And that the second quarter was where this game was won. Florida, give credit to them. Um, Billy Napier played had an excellent strategy. Long, sustained drives, eight, nine minutes at a time, keeping Tennessee's offense off the field. They just never could get into a sink. Um, that was – Really a great, great game planning by Billy Napier, and you have to give credit to him. He he had a better game plan than Josh Heupel going into this matchup. Yeah, I mean, I, while I am impressed with Florida, I'm not sure, like, how sustainable it is for them going forward. Um, you know, and I hate to say anything bad about Florida after a big win. Um, you know, it was a great performance by them, um, especially after, like, the first couple drives. You know, they came out, they had a penalty immediately. 
um, you know, the drive stalls, and then Tennessee goes right down the field and scores a touchdown. Like, you were just thinking, like, all right, well, this game's over. Um, and then they really kind of bounced back. Trevor Etienne had a huge game, you know, 172 yards rushing. Um, you know, but a lot of these, like, short, um, you know, passing attempts from Mertz, you know, he was 19 of 24, but only for 166 yards. You know, I'm just not sure how sustainable that's going to be over the course of the season. Um, you know, you just really want to see a little bit a few more big plays, especially in the passing game from them, but um, a great win for Florida, a real big like bounce back um, from that loss to Utah a couple weeks ago. That makes up. And, um, you know, now they're in a position where, you know, if they get back on track, they could potentially be a bowl team this year when I think a lot of people had them going, you know, five and seven, four and eight uh, before the season started. So um, a chance for them to kind of get some positive momentum going forward. Um, You know, obviously there's a long way to go, but with the way they're recruiting, um, maybe some positive uh, vibes down in Gainesville. Yeah, I mean, I think everything's completely 180 in Gainesville. I mean, you know, beating Tennessee, I mean, I don't even think Tennessee's that bad of a team. I think that just Florida was able to capitalize on those mistakes, and they forced Tennessee into making those mistakes. And uh, I think it was also a great game plan by Napier. He shortened the game. It was executed to perfection. I mean, you know, with these new clock rules, Tennessee, you know, they were moving the ball more effectively in the second half. They ran out of time. Um, that's one benefit of this new clock rule. If you get a big lead and you have an offense that's able to have those long sustained drives, keeping another team off the field, more likely than not, I mean, I'd say about 90% of the time, you're going to hold on and win. Um, you could really almost play not to lose with this new clock rule strategy now. So, but I mean, Florida, give credit to them. They played um, really great on both sides of the ball. And uh, that was. I keep saying it over and over again. It was great um, clock management and um, game planning by Billy Napier, and it worked out perfectly for him. Yeah, man, um, moving on to kind of a disappointing game, Um, one that, if I'm being honest, I did not see a lot of. Uh, Arkansas falling to BYU 38-31. I kind of saw Arkansas get up 14-0. They had that big punt return, and then I I didn't really uh, keep up too much after that. Um, Did you have any takeaways from this game? you know, obviously a really tough loss to uh, kind of an average BYU team. Yeah, I mean, I think really it was just that really the turning point for this game was that when uh, that turnover right there in the fourth quarter um, and that ended up turning into a, uh, you know, a touchdown for, uh, you know, BYU. I mean, that right there was just absolutely killer. And I, I feel for Arkansas fans. I mean, that this, this was, you know, looking like it was going to be a win. I mean, they were up 31-21. Um, you know, or what was it, like midway through the fourth quarter. And, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, we're we're getting ready to celebrate and hit, hit the town. But BYU, they did not waver whatsoever. I mean, that's a very mentally strong football team. And give credit to them. I, I was really impressed by what they were able to do. I think the biggest leading stat that I noticed is that they got 38 points and only 281 yards. Yeah, I don't offense. even know how that's possible. Me neither. That, that is astounding to me. I mean, K.J. Jefferson didn't even have a horrible game either. I mean, he, uh, you know, was able to lead his team, you know, down the field, you know, right there at the end. And, um, you know, just, you know, turnover on downs. But I'm not going to really say it was really K.J. Jefferson's fault. I mean, the offensive line for Arkansas was just horrendous. They could not protect him at all. It seemed like every play, um, the pocket was collapsing around K.J. And there were times I felt like he was about to get smushed in between several linemen at one given time. But somehow he'd find a way to escape. Look like Eli Manning in the Super Bowl in 2007. But, yeah, I, I'm nervous about Arkansas going forward because this is supposed to be a win for them. 
I mean, look at the rest of their schedule. It's tough. I mean, I, I still think they're going to find a way to get six more wins, but I don't think Arkansas fans are going to be happy with that. I mean, I, I'm not going to say Sam Pittman is on the hot seat yet, but I'm definitely going to say his seat is starting to get a little bit warm. Yeah, well, especially now, um, you know, when he took the job, you know, it, it was kind of a uh, not the sexiest hire at the time. He wasn't like the hottest name. But the way they were selling it was, you know, well, he's bringing in Barry Odom to be his defensive coordinator Kendall and Kendall Brosby his offensive coordinator. And, you know, that worked pretty well for a couple of years. And now both those guys are going and, you know, things just don't don't look great right now. I mean, I'm not sure um, offensively or defensively. And, you know, we should mention Rocket Sanders has been out. So, I mean, that is like a huge part of their offense. So, I mean, we should definitely mention that. But. You know, truthfully, this is a game that you should win um, if you're Arkansas. Um, and I, I do have some questions going forward. I mean, the season will play out, and I'm willing to wait and, like, watch the season play out. But um, it's going to be – if things don't get right soon, I think some questions are going to start popping up about Sam Pittman, what his ceiling is, and how good of a coach he really is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, it's really a tough one, you know, to lose because, you know, you're going to Baton Rouge next weekend. I mean, then after that, you got your – Another tough matchup, um, you know, the following week against, uh, you know, Texas A&M and Arlington. I mean, for Arkansas, I mean, they could be two and three after those next two weekends if they don't get anything straightened out. I mean, looking ahead, I mean, I would say they could probably – I think it's reasonable that they could split those, but it's tough. It's, it's tough right now in Fayetteville after that loss. That was a heartbreaker. Yeah, and another heartbreaker was um, South Carolina um, falling to Georgia – um, it was a close game. They had a they got the fourteen to three lead at the first half and end up, took it into halftime. Um, you know, Georgia kind of turned it on there in the second half and ended up pulling away and winning twenty four fourteen. You know, not the sexiest win for Georgia. I think if you're South Carolina, as much as you hate to say it, maybe kind of a moral victory. <laughs> that seems to be the theme for South Carolina the last few years. Although, I mean, I'm, they, they they did beat uh, Tennessee and Clemson last year. Great wins, but. Um, other than that, I mean, it has been the, the recurring theme the last three years is um, playing teams close and competitively. But what was what was it? Fourteen uh, three at halftime, and you know Shane Beamer went in the you know during his halftime interview said we're kicking Georgia's butt right now, and they never scored another point after that. Uh, it was twenty one unanswered points in the second half. Um, Kirby Smart lit a fire under Georgia's team, and um, they just dominated that second half. I mean, there were. I will say Spencer Rattler is incredible. I mean, he's been really good this season. Even yesterday, I mean, he still had a solid game, even against that, um, you know, that Georgia um, secondary. I mean, it was still a solid game by him. Um, and, you know, they just don't have the firepower, the, um, the weapons that they need to, to sustain a, uh, you know, offense that can get you 400, 500 yards every week consistently. Yeah, and you know it's it's funny you said about Rattler. I mean, his stat line really isn't that impressive. Twenty-two of forty-two for um, two hundred fifty-six yards, one touchdown, two picks. But if you watch that game, he made some amazing throws. Um, a lot of those incompletions are just throwaways because nobody was open and the offensive line couldn't protect them. He was just trying to make yeah, plays. Yeah, and those interceptions came at the end of the game when Georgia knew they were passing. So, you know, you can't really blame it on Rattler at all. He he played really well. Um, he's also their leading rusher. I mean, like, that's really the problem with South Carolina is um, they just have no running game. I mean, Rattler had eight carries for 35 yards, and then the next leading rusher was five carries for 10 yards and then two carries for nine yards. So just he has no help in the running game. Everyone knows they're passing. 
Um, everyone can just play the pass and pin their ear back, ears back and get after him um, in the pocket. But he still stood strong and uh, had a really good game. Um, Xavier Leggett continues to be a really impressive player as well. Um, you know, and then Omega Blake also had a big game in this one. So, uh, and Juice Wells, I mean, he had the touchdown catch, and then he's out for the rest of the game. So, that was tough to loss. see that. Tough to see that. You really hope that he can get well soon because, uh, you know, they could really use another piece. But, I mean, honestly, until they get that rushing game going, it's kind of hard to get too excited. But, I mean, looking at Georgia um, in this one, I mean, they did win the game after all. Um, you know, I do have some concerns about Mike Bobo. I think I've made that clear on this podcast. Um, obviously losing Stetson Bennett as well. Um, you know, I just think that uh, maybe people are uh, underselling a little bit how much they lost on the off- offensive side last year, and I just don't feel like they're a very explosive offense right now. No, they're not. I mean, you can definitely tell there's a drop-off from Todd Munkin to uh, Mike Bobo. And, I mean, Georgia fans will tell you back when Mike Bobo was the offensive coordinator under the Mark Richt era, they they were tired of him. I mean, his, his, his offense, you know, has spurts where it looks – outstanding but there are also times where it's just you know you're scratching your head over some of the uh, aspects that you see with it and yeah I, I, I think that's definitely a place where they have gotten worse is on the offensive side of the ball I mean still Georgia has the most talent of any school in the SEC they're still the most feared program but they don't look like the world beaters that there were in 2021 and last year I mean this Georgia team I think is definitely more beatable than previous teams I think they will get better as the year goes down, but you saw how tough South Carolina played them yesterday. But, you know, Georgia's got you know a breather next week playing UAB at home. UAB doesn't have Bill Clark anymore. That's a good thing for them. And then that game on the Plains at Auburn two weeks from now, even though Auburn's 3-0, doesn't really look as tough as it did, you know, back in the preseason. So um, Georgia's got some time to iron out the kinks before they get into the meat of the schedule later in the year. Yeah, and uh, moving on to – I'm not too good with these transitions, by the way. I always <laughs> always try to wait for you to, like, finish what you're saying, and then I, there's never anywhere I can go with it. There's but, never uh, anywhere. That's why I try, sometimes, sometimes I like to try to just help you ease into another game, too. But, uh, well, I appreciate that. Um, but uh, just just transitioning to, uh, to uh, Oxford, um, Ole Miss was able to beat Georgia Tech 48-23. to Kind of a misleading score. Um, you know, this is a close game for a lot of the game. Um, you know, I appreciate uh, Lane Kiffin for, you know, scoring with 50 seconds left to make sure that Ole Miss <laughs> covered. Um, did you get to watch much of this game, and what were your, kind of your takeaways from it? Yeah, I watched it. I mean, I mean, I think you and I both agree. I mean, Ole Miss's offense is really good. I mean, it's a really solid system. I mean, I think Dart is playing much better this year than he did last year. Um, they're, they're exciting to watch. I mean, it's a really sound team offensively. They can do – you know, they can run the ball. They can throw the ball. They're extremely balanced. That is, you know, very vintage Lane Kiffin. He wants a balanced offense dating back to his days at Tennessee and USC and Alabama. That's what he always strives for is being balanced. He's got that with this team. Um, even with uh, Judkins, you know, you know, he didn't have as much of a good game yesterday. I mean, it didn't look like he was going to play. Um, but, you know, it didn't matter. I mean, they still were able to get, you know, an awesome game from Jackson Dart. I mean, 251 yards to the air and 136 yards on the ground. That's incredible. And that was really awesome performance by Jackson Dart. This is definitely his team now. And I'm, I'm excited to watch them play against Alabama next week because, I mean, obviously we know the issues with Alabama's offense, but Ole Miss's defense is not spectacular. But it may not matter because I think if, if Ole Miss can score 
you know, at will against Alabama. I don't think Alabama's got the firepower to give up with it. I mean, this is a, I mean, obviously we'll talk about that in a couple, in, you know, in a couple of days, but I'm already looking forward um, to that game next weekend. I mean, Ole Miss, I think, is a really sound team. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to that game as well. Um, you know, really interesting game by Jackson Dart. He only completed 10 passes, but it was for 251 yards and a touchdown. Um, and then, just like you said, a huge game on the ground with 136 rushing yards and two touchdowns. I mean, they really just let him loose. Um, still wondering what's going on with Quinshawn Judkins. They just really have not been able to get him going so far this year. It seems like that's something that teams are really keying on with this offense is, uh, you know, when Judkins is in the game, they're really playing the run. Um, and the defense faced a lot of plays. I mean, it was, you know, close to 100 plays that they faced. Um, I think it was 91 eight, or no, 89 plays that they faced. So, um, and only gave up 23 points. So, um, you know, you'd like to see them not face that many plays, but as far as the points per play go, I mean, that's not a bad, uh, not a bad average there. But, you know, the schedule will get uh, tougher for Ole Miss. Um, you know, they'll be tested next week in Tuscaloosa against a really good defense. Um, but uh, just like you said, I mean, really excited for, for that matchup next week. Um, and not really too much else you can say about this game. I mean, it wasn't really too, too sexy of a game. Um, they got the win. And when you look at the final score, it looks like they won, you know, pretty easily. Um, someone who um, had kind of a bad performance, um, really disappointed, actually, um, in Vanderbilt. Um, losing to UNLV and our old friend Barry Odom, 40-37. to 37. Um, Just a Vanderbilt, man. Like, I, I pull for you, like, so hard. We do. I want you, I want you to be good so bad. And I just, like, I, like, I don't know what we're doing. Oh, yeah, like, I mean, you – I saw, like, bits and pieces of this game. I mean, it was just, you know, not as easy as accessible as the other games. Uh, it was, I, had to, I had to stream this one. But, you know, they jumped out to a 17 nothing lead. And then after that, UNLV scored 30 unanswered points. I mean, that's just unacceptable. You can't allow that to happen. And then also, I'm sure you noticed um, Vanderbilt, you know, tied it with a minute 12 left, got the ball back immediately, drove down, kicked a field goal, missed a chip shot, Vander, and then a UNLV got the ball back, threw a long pass down the sidelines, and you know completed it at the uh, 20 yard line. UNLV kicks a 36 yard field goal with time expiring, wins at 40 to 37. That's just a horrible way to lose, and a horrible game, horrible game for Vanderbilt to lose. Because um, I said, you know, going into this game that this was a must win for Vanderbilt if they want to have any hopes of making it to a bowl. Now sitting at two and two, um, you know they lost away course in UNLV. Those are games that they needed to split at the very minimum. Now that they're, you know, lost both of those, I don't see a path at all for Vanderbilt. They may only have one more win left on their schedule this year, tops. Other than that, they're staring a worse season than they had last year, and that's not the direction you want that program to go with Parkley. Yeah, very disappointing. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. The quarterback for um, UNLV, I'm not – entirely sure if he was the starter and just didn't play the first couple weeks or if he's the backup but he just came in and had a huge game um you know Doug Brumfield is who we were talking about last week as being the guy who had played the first few games for UNLV he didn't hardly play at all so you know just man just really disappointing I mean like I don't know I mean I know Vanderbilt fans are upset too so I know I'm just preaching the choir here but you know I feel like that uh, that Tyra Banks meme where she's like we were pulling for you we were all rooting for you we're all rooting for you ha but anyway, disappointed. Um, but just like I said, I know that uh, I know that all the Vanderbilt fans are upset too. So I'm not going to try to pile on. But um, 
That should be all of the, you know, kind of like important games from last week or the big games. There were uh, three more games that we're not going to spend a ton of time talking about. No need uh, to. We may just touch on them, but uh, Kentucky did beat Akron 35-3. to um, Auburn beat Sanford 45-13. And A&M took care of business against Louisiana Monroe, winning 47-3. Um, was there, Were there any... Anything from those games that stick out to you that you want to mention? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Auburn, I mean, it was a sluggish start for Auburn. I mean, they didn't even get a point on the board until almost halfway through the second quarter. But after that, it was just an all-around explosion by the uh, Auburn offense. I mean, they finished with uh, 562 yards of offense, 340 through the air. That's, a, that's the kind of game that they needed. Um, you know, going into SEC play, uh, Peyton Thorne had a solid game. Um, he did throw a couple of picks, but other than that, I mean, his completion percentage is good, 24-32. Robbie Ashford came in there and threw a nice touchdown pass down the field. Um, you know, like he Free said, we're going to need Robbie Ashford at times to win games. He brings a different dimension when he comes, into the game, comes in for Auburn. So that was a good win for Auburn. Uh, that's one thing that stood out to me. Uh, obviously, I think, you know, Kentucky, I mean, they just, you know, they took care of business like they're supposed to. Um, Devin Leary, you know, had a solid game throwing three touchdown passes. That's exactly what they need from him. Um, over 300 yards of passing. And, of course, you know, we got what, Texas A&M, Monroe. Um, Wegman had a pretty solid game, too, throwing for over 300 yards. Um, good confidence boost before A&M uh, brings Auburn to College Station next week. Yeah, that'll be uh, an exciting matchup for sure. I mean, they're all – every SEC game to me is exciting, personally. I know, but, but next week, man, like I, I can't even wait to do our preview. That preview might take a little bit longer than our last preview. We, every game next week, um, except for maybe two of them, are exciting, and that's just the SEC. Um, we got solid games all around college football next week. I, I'm looking forward to next weekend. All right, well, uh, that should uh... – that should do it for our recap podcast. Um, thanks everybody for joining. Um, feel free to uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SEC Slow Smoked. Um, feel free to DM us some questions if you have any questions about um, what what do we what else can we talk about besides sports? I know food, obviously, country music. Um, there's some good topics, but we we've got some questions we'll building talk about up. TV shows like yeah. TV shows to watch, uh, movies we've seen recently, yeah. funny I mean, movies. Yeah, yeah, we love comedy movies. Yep. So just uh, anything of those related, we do have a good bit of them piling up. So um, if you just want to go ahead and send in some questions, we'd really appreciate it. Um, and uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Holtsmash1166, and you can follow JB at Mr. JB underscore Brooks. So that's spelled M R J B underscore Brooks. That's where you can find me. All right. Until next time.